Take your Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. When I was a kid growing up, we used to have uh, guest evangelists or a revivalist that would come, and then the, it would last for a week. You know, you would have a week of services. And one time a guy came in and he told the story about a visiting pastor. And the pastor was preaching, and as he was preaching, he said something that was appropriate to that church. And he was just the visiting pastor, but he seemed to, to hit the mark. And when he hit the mark, the regular pastor, the pastor of the church, stood up with his hanky, uh, twisted around his head, and walked up and down the aisle going, bullseye, bullseye. I thought, wow, that's quite a thing. Uh, This morning, I don't want that to happen. I don't want that to happen. I want us to look at the Word of God as a mirror this morning, looking at ourselves and seeing what it is that the greatness of God on our behalf, has led to the goodness of God in our lives, okay? And so hopefully we can reach that together and we'll be able to use the Word of God as a mirror to learn something and to understand what God wants us to do. So before we start, let's pray and then we'll get going. Lord, we love you only because you first loved us. We're grateful to you for that love that allows us to understand your word. Help us this morning to have great insight into what the Apostle Paul wants us to know about ourselves as followers of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Peanuts was a cartoon strip that uh, ended when Charles Schultz died, Uh, but now there are some older archived editions that are printed in newspapers. For example, the Cincinnati Enquirer publishes a Peanuts comic strip, although it is an archived edition. There's nothing new. And I can remember one Peanuts comic strip, and it was a common comic strip of Linus and Lucy. They were brother and sister, if you remember. And Linus announced to Lucy, I want to be a great doctor. Of course, Lucy had an objection immediately. She objected by saying, but you can't be a doctor. You don't love mankind. Linus quickly replied, he said, I love mankind. It's people I can't stand. And sometimes that's what happens. People are able to love the church as this organization, as this thing that's so big and beyond them. They can love the church but it's the people they don't like. And in Philippians chapter 1, what the Apostle Paul does is he helps us to understand what God wants in each of his followers so that they become good people that you want to be around and be with, so that they are able to be those ones that you say, yes, I love them, I want to be around them, I enjoy their company. So this morning in Philippians chapter 1, beginning at verse 3, we'll see three revelations about the followers of Christ. Three revelations about the followers of Christ. The first revelation is that the follower of Christ inspires thankfulness. The follower of Christ inspires thankfulness. Look at verse 3 of Philippians chapter 1. Paul writes, I thank my God every time I remember you. The Apostle Paul, the author of Philippians, thanks God whenever the name of someone from Philippi is mentioned. Whenever that the subject of the Philippian people come up or the Philippian church come up, Paul says, I thank God for you. 
I remember with thanksgiving those of you that are from Philippi. Now, if you can remember the backstory, Acts chapter 16 would give you that. The backstory to the book of Philippians was Paul in a, a whole lot of mess. He was illegally arrested. He was beaten. He was thrown into a prison. He was locked in stocks and bonds. He was humiliated in front of so many people. Uh, remember, Paul was a Roman citizen. He was a converted Gentile, uh, a Jew, and he was a Roman citizen. And his Roman citizenship allowed him to move into Roman colonies and enjoy the privilege of Rome everywhere he went. But when he went to Philippi, they did not treat him that way. Because when he shared the gospel, when he taught about Christ, they threw him into prison. Now think about that for just a moment. The circumstances would tell the author to forget about that place. Forget about that place where you experience such hardship, such pain, such suffering, and so much humiliation. Forget that place. But he remembered it fondly and with thanksgiving because of the people. Because of the people that were there. They inspired thankfulness. Remember in Acts chapter 16, the Apostle Paul was thrown into jail, he and Silas. And they were in jail. And while they were hidden away, They were singing psalms and hymns, and an earthquake happens, and the jailer rushes in and says, oh, please tell me no one has escaped. And Paul says, don't worry about it, no one has. And the jailer said, sir, what must I do to be saved? And Paul said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. See, Paul remembered the jailer. He didn't remember the jail. He remembered the jailer who inspired thanksgiving because of the contribution that he made into the life of the apostle Paul. Each recollection was a source of thankfulness. What does the mention of your name inspire? This morning I say Steve Jobs, you think Apple or entrepreneur. I say Stonewall Jackson, and as a Civil War person you think, oh, Stonewall Jackson, what a great general and leader that he was. When I was a boy growing up, one of my heroes was Jerry West, a great basketball player. His name was Mr. Clutch. This morning, when I mention your name, what does that inspire in someone else? I say Alex Rodriguez, you say cheater. I say Martin Luther, and you say great reformer. I say your name, what does your name inspire? You see, this morning, greatness or renown is not what it's about. It's about doing the good works that inspire thankfulness in others. Doing the general kind acts that reach out into the hearts of others that make them say, I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for you. Are you thankful for someone this morning? Is there someone in your life that inspires thanksgiving? Why not tell them? Why not remind them, remind them that as a follower of Christ, you inspire thankfulness in my heart. The first revelation about the follower of Christ is that he is to inspire thankfulness. The second revelation about the follower of Christ is that he inspires joy. He inspires joy. Now, these people in Philippi, they are not superstars. They are good, ordinary followers of Christ. They are Philippian churchgoers. They are following Christ and they inspire joy in the heart of the Apostle Paul. 
And notice what happens in verse 4. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because with your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, they inspired joy. He says, in all of my prayers for all of you. When he uses the word prayer here, he uses a word that is much more intense. It's the idea of someone begging God or beseeching God on the behalf of someone else. It it also involves this idea of having a real understanding of what's going on at a place. You see, the Apostle Paul had been to Philippi. He had ministered to those people. He knew what was happening there. And when he thought about those individuals and those ones that were there, his heart was filled with joy as he prayed to God on their behalf. Now, the first thing that happens here is uh, the question is, are we praying for each other? Before we even get to the idea of inspiring one another with joy, what about praying for each other? Are we praying for each other? The Apostle Paul was praying for the people at Philippi. In verse 4, when he he prays, it's not an on-again, off-again proposition. It is a continual part of his life. He is praying. This is a part of who Paul was. He prayed for those believers. There is also the question here of where is Paul when he's writing this? Do you remember? The book of Philippians is written by the Apostle Paul when he was in prison. He's in prison. And he writes this, although he himself, he is mired and bogged in a circumstance that we would think untenable, and here he is praying for others. Paul, how about praying for yourself? Paul, why don't you pray for yourself to get out of jail? Instead, he's praying for those believers who inspire joy in his heart. There was a professor at Dallas Theological Seminary. His name was Howard Hendricks. And he would greet his students and he would talk to them. He was a very outgoing individual. And one time he approached a student and he said to the student, how are you doing? And the student's reply was, I'm doing okay under the circumstances. Howard Hendricks' response was, what are you doing under there? You see, sometimes we allow the circumstances of our lives to weigh down upon us so much that we don't think of anyone else but ourselves. The Apostle Paul says this, he says, I pray for you, and it inspires joy in spite of my circumstances, in spite of the, the, the situation that I find myself in. Here I am, I'm praying for you, and when I pray for you, and I begin to talk to God on your behalf, it inspires joy in my heart. Do you have those people that inspire joy in your heart? Do you have those people that that when you sit down and you begin to pray for them, you can't help but have a heart that's full of joy because of what they are up to and what they are doing? This has been a very busy summer for my family. Uh, We have uh, gone to a variety of different places. But one of the things, uh, my oldest son is uh, in Indianapolis now, and he is helping a guy plant a church in the Broad Ripple area of Indianapolis It's a church that's called Radiate. He's leading the worship and his friend is doing the preaching. And when I sit down and when I pray for them and I think of Justin, the pastor, and I think of my own son, my heart is filled with joy knowing what they're doing over there. It's a marvelous privilege to be a partner in prayer. And Paul says, you inspire joy. 
You inspire joy. Now, what he does for us in this passage is he gives us a specific example of how they bring joy to him. Notice what he says in verse 4. He says, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because... What's bringing them joy? Well, the joy is because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. This word partnership is the word you're familiar with. You've probably heard the word koine or koinonia, to fellowship, to cooperate, to partner with, to share in. Uh, The Apostle Paul says that we are partners in the gospel from the first day until now. It literally is cooperation, fellowshipping together. Paul, you're in prison, my friend. The Philippians, they're in church doing their thing. But you see, because of the power of prayer and the opportunities that it brings, the Apostle Paul feels linked together with them. And not only that, but there is this sense of remembering that these people in Philippi, they have done something for Paul beyond the ordinary. And that cooperation or this partnership in the gospel included a financial gift. A financial gift. Uh, They were cooperating together financially. If you take your Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter 4, you'll see what I'm talking about. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 14, it says this, Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Paul had troubles, obviously. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you. Paul says, you know, I've done this ministry thing, and you were the only one that gave to me. You were the only one that gave for me. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I am looking for a gift, but I am looking for what may be credited to your account. I have received full payment and even more. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent me. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. You see, the Apostle Paul says, you bring me joy when I pray for you because you cooperated with me financially. You were a fellow worker, a fellow supporter financially. You say, well, if you give me some money as I'm walking out of here, I'll be joyful. But you see, it's much more than that for Paul. Because Paul saw that their gift was not just to him, but that it was a pleasing sacrifice and offering to whom? To God. You see, Paul understood that they were not in this for him. They were in this for him. And because they were in this for God, it made Paul's heart just swell with joy. They inspired joy because they were sharing together and partnering financially. Now, I don't want to go from preaching to meddling. But when was the last time you gave financially to the work of the Lord? When was the last time you said, you know what, I'm going to give something because that's what God wants me to do, and you gave it? You see, cooperation, partnering, includes reaching in and saying, you know what, I want to give something. The reality of finances carries weight. But please notice that Paul writes, partnering in the gospel from the first day until now. So not only did they cooperate financially, but they cooperated in the gospel, in the gospel. 
one of the, the persons to whom he's probably referencing is Lydia. In Philippi, there was a woman, her name was Lydia. She was a seller of purple, and her heart was changed because of the message of Christ that she received. And so Paul says, you know what, from the first day I arrived, even until now while I'm in prison, you have ministered in the gospel. You have seen its work. You have spread its wealth. The Apostle Paul understands that they are cooperating in the gospel. Someone has said this, We today might take the lesson to heart that the sign of your professed love for the gospel is the measure of sacrifice you are prepared to make in order to help in its progress. To help in its progress. Do you cooperate in the gospel? From this day, the beginning, Paul says, until now. These people have done nothing but help the gospel go along, help the gospel to move, to get to where it needs to be. This morning, are you that person? Are you that person who is able to say, you know what, I'm in this, cooperating with this ministry, cooperating with what's happening, uh, being a partner financially, being a partner in pushing the gospel, the message of Christ, the message of hope, the message of peace. I'm cooperating in that. Can we remember a few things? Paul was a Pharisee before he met Christ. As a Pharisee, he was devoted to annihilate every sympathy which would touch the Gentiles. The Philippians are a group of Roman citizens, Gentiles, Roman colonists, whose desire and goal is political and national ideas. And so you're taking this Pharisee and you're taking these Gentiles and you're bringing them together and they bring joy to each other. You say, how does that work? Well, it works because of their common goal, Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus Christ has radically transformed the life of the Apostle Paul. So that instead of wanting to annihilate and to exterminate those that oppose the Jewishness of his life, he is now embracing those as ones that need to know who Christ is. And the Philippians, instead of having only political and national interests in mind as colonists of Rome, they say Paul is the one that can help us get to where we want to be, and that is like Christ cooperating financially, cooperating in the gospel. What a difference the gospel makes. You see, the gospel of God makes others lovable. The gospel of God allows us to cooperate, to fellowship, so that we forget the differences and promote Jesus Christ. Promote Jesus Christ. As long as we keep our eye on the cross and remember that Jesus Christ died for us, and rose again victorious over sin and death. He did that for us. Keep that as our, our, our target. That's what we want to express and to explain and to share. That allows us to cooperate. Uh, now, the thing about this, being a follower of Christ, you see, it extends beyond the church. So as you sit there this morning, ask yourself, do you inspire joy at work? Do you inspire joy in your family? 
Do you inspire joy in your relationships? You see, the follower of Christ is this one who understands that there has been this great sacrifice that produces good works in me. And part of my good work is joy. Joy. I am a school teacher. That is what I do primarily. I can remember one time I, I spoke at Hopewell. Do you remember when we used to meet over at Hopewell Middle School? It was one of the early years at, at Grace Chapel. And I spoke one time. And I mentioned when I was preaching, I mentioned that I had been a pastor before. And when I finished, I walked down and this woman walks up to me and she goes, hmm, she says, I know why you left the ministry. <laughs> anyway, sorry, that was a diversion. <laughs> it was funny, but not at the time. It was kind of hurtful. But uh, anyway, it's funny as you look back. Um, I'm sorry, what were we talking about? <laughs> Oh, I'm a school teacher. That's what we were talking about. Here's what happens in school. You know, I would love it, but it just doesn't happen. School has evolved. I've been in education for 17 years, and it has evolved. You know, when you first started out 17 years ago, you could stand up and you could lecture for 25, 30, 40 minutes, and the kids would be there taking notes copiously and all this kind of stuff like that. That's out the window. They don't. That's not the way it is anymore. You know, if you get 20 minutes, you should be happy. So you do all different kinds of things. You do group work, you do presentations and all these kinds of things. Group work is a pain. You know why? Because the kids know each other so well. And so when you assign groups, you know what happens. You'll assign two together and they're like, oh, well, yeah. And then you'll assign a third and that third one will be walking over towards the two and the two will be going, oh, great. They don't do anything. You know, high school kids, they're so transparent. You know, unfortunately... There are some of us in here that when we are put into a place, people are saddened by our presence instead of inspired, instead of thankful or joyous. You see, a follower of Christ inspires thankfulness. A follower of Christ inspires joy. A follower of Christ is the one that understands that we are to produce good works, in the lives of others. The third and final revelation is found in verse 6. The follower of Christ not only inspires thankfulness and inspires joy, but the follower of Christ inspires confidence in God's work. Confidence in God's work. Look at verse 6. Verse 6, Paul writes this, Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Being confident, being persuaded, being sure, being convinced. This is about the, the conversion that happens in our lives. It is about that, that, that point where, where God begins a work in our lives. He transforms us. He changes us. Remember we talked about Lydia earlier in Acts chapter 16. And if you want to write this down, verse 14, it says this about Lydia. It says, the Lord opened her heart. And she received the message of Paul. You see, Paul sharing the message was a good thing, but God opened her heart. God is the one that begins this work. God is the initiator of salvation. God is the one that radically transforms us. God is the one that does the work in our life. It is God being confident of the work of God in our lives. Now, with God as the good work starter in our life, we have to sometimes ask the question, 
Has he done that in my life? You see, the, the question that is posed is, why do some Christians grow and others don't, right? That's on your bulletin. Well, sometimes the reason why there are those that seem to grow and others don't is this right here. And again, this is not a, 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 a judgment. This is a question. Has God done a work of salvation in your heart? Has God done it? Not you. Not someone else, but has God done it? Are you to the place where you understand that without him and without what he did through his son, Jesus Christ, you have nothing? Are you to that point yet? Are you to that point of understanding that this is not about you? This is about what Christ did for you. God is the initiator of salvation. Paul understood this. And even the people that observed what was happening in the church understood this. In Acts chapter 11... Beginning at verse 19, it is, a play, it is a passage of Scripture that talks about where the disciples were first called Christians. And that place was Antioch. They hadn't been called Christians until then. And it is so descriptive where they write in that passage about, we were able to see the hand of the Lord working. It was so apparent that God had done it. Think about your life. Is it apparent that God is the one that has changed you? Is it apparent that God is the one that has transformed you? Being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you, God is the one who begins that work. God is the one that does that. God works in you. You know that it's of God when you can't explain it, right? Here's an example. I got a, a, an email from a friend on Saturday, not, it was a while ago, that said, hey, I don't feel good. Can you preach for me tomorrow? I emailed back immediately and said, yes, I will. And so I show up and I share the message that I believe that God wanted. I had no time to think about who was going to be there, who was going to be involved, or any of those kinds of things like that. All I had time to do was to find a passage of Scripture and to create out of it something that God would, would be able to apply to the lives of those there. There was a person that was there that said, Are you directing this to me? <laughs> do you get the timeline? I didn't even know I was going to be there until Saturday night. And Sunday, I didn't know if they would even be there on Sunday, so how could I plan anything for them? You know why that hit so well with them? Because God did it. Not because of me. I can't explain that. That's God working. That's God doing something. This morning, do you know that God is working in your life? That God has initiated this act of salvation on your behalf? Are you confident in that? Are you confident that he is the one that has done it? Or do you keep thinking, boy, I really need to do more. I really need to read. I really need to pray. I really need to work. Or do you understand God is the one that has saved you? You see, the Apostle Paul has done something here several times. He has talked about this thing called the gospel. The gospel is about Jesus Christ being born, living, dying, and rising again victorious over sin and death. Do you believe that this morning? Is that sufficient for you? You see, the follower of Christ inspires confidence in God's word. 
and his work. Notice what Paul says. He says it will, that the good work that God began in you, he will carry it on to the completion until the day of Jesus Christ. Salvation done by God will last until the end. Until we get to Jesus Christ himself, this will last. God will advance you in grace. God will provide what you need so that you will be prepared to meet him on that final day. Are you confident of that this morning? Are you confident of that this morning? Paul was very good at being impressed with God. Look at verse 14 of chapter 1. In verse 14 of chapter 1, the Apostle Paul says, Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. Because of what the Lord does in using me and taking care of me, the Apostle Paul was impressed with God and what he does on the behalf of others. It is God who works in you to will and to do to fulfill his good purpose. It is God that works. You see, the work of God in us is salvation or redemption. Uh, the work of God around us is sanctification, right? We continue to work with him. And the work of God through us is service. We serve others because of what God does through us. Colossians is a twin book of Philippians. In Colossians 1.27, Paul wrote this, To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The follower of Christ inspires confidence. You are confident, not in yourself, but in what God has done for you. You say, but that isn't always the case. I know. I know. I know there are times when you doubt and when you wonder. I know there are times when you you say, you know what, I'm not sure. Uh, The reason why that happens is because you're incarcerated in your flesh. You're still human. And so those doubts do come. Even Billy Graham, the great Billy Graham, what a marvelous testimony of faith Billy Graham had of being able to stand before so many and to proclaim so boldly the message of Jesus Christ. But even Billy Graham had that moment where he wondered and he thought, is this all worth it? Is this all even true? And he took his Bible and he went into the woods and he found a place and he laid his Bible down on top of a rock and he stood before the Lord and he said, listen, I have my doubts and I wonder sometimes, but right now I believe what your word says. And I believe it to be true. And I want it to be a part of my life. And Billy Graham would often go back to that rock and remind himself of what God was doing and that he needed to believe and to trust. This morning, that's what you need to do. When those, ho- when those kind of questions and those things creep into your life, you need to find a way back to the Word of God because it's only what God says that is true and brings us confident and confidence in what He does. In Psalm chapter 73, the, uh, David writes about this a little bit. In Psalm chapter 73, the, verse, the first 20 verses are all about how the wicked are prospering. 
And Asaph, the guy that's leading worship in the temple, is observing this. And he sees these people, and they're living their lives however they want. And it's really discouraging to him, because he's trying to live his life right before God. And in the end uh, of Psalm 73, the, the passage talks about this. It says this about God. It says, Thou hast holden me by my right hand. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel, and afterwards receive me into glory. You see, what happens is, we need to have God guide us with his counsel, the word of God, and allow us to hang on to that until he takes us to glory. Because the marvelous thing about heaven is this. In heaven, your faith becomes reality. There's no faith in heaven. You know that, right? Faith will take you to heaven or bring heaven to your soul. But once you're in heaven, there is no faith. You're living by sight in heaven. What a marvelous thing that'll be, right? Uh, your hope becomes reality as well. We are hoping for Jesus Christ and that we will be with him someday. And so when we're in heaven, hope becomes reality. We're with him. But until that day, we need to have confidence in what God has done in our life. How God has changed us and how God will lead us and God will act on our behalf until the day we see him. We start with peanuts. Let's end with peanuts. Lucy and Charlie Brown. If you think about Charlie Brown, what a tough, tough life that guy had, right? You know why? Because all the people around him. I mean, think of Lucy and the football. You remember Lucy and the football? Charlie Brown, all he wanted to do was to have someone hold the ball and allow him to kick it. That's all he wanted. And Lucy would say, I'm your person. I'm your person, Charlie Brown. I'm the one. And Lucy, sure enough, she'd go and she would tee that thing up. And Charlie Brown would go back about 400 yards and start sprinting as hard as he could. And he would be ready and watching. And he saw the ball was still there. And all of a sudden he begins to deliver the kick. And what does Lucy do? Pulls the ball. Charlie Brown flies up into the air and falls on his back. Lucy inspired nothing. Don't be Lucy this morning. Be a follower of Christ that inspires thanksgiving, inspires joy, inspires confidence because of what God is doing to allow you to produce the good works that he has for you. Let's pray together. Father, Father, thank you so much that we can rely upon your word and that your word is sufficient in helping us be what you want us to be. We love you so much, Lord, and we ask that you would allow these words of the Apostle Paul in Philippians to settle into our hearts, not to rest, but to renew and to revive our hearts for your good. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Have a wonderful week.